The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? How can we expect a child who is worried about where their next meal is going to come from or if their parents will be fighting when they get home or who's going to pick them up from school or if their parent will be too drunk to help them out with their homework? How can a child who's dealing with that at home or if they're going to be sexually abused when they get home or hit when they get home or if their mom's going to be in a manic state when they get home or if their dad's going to, you know, beat their mom when they get home? How can a child who's constantly looking over their own shoulder and trying to figure out how to care for themselves make it through school? That was a quick clip from this week's episode with yours truly. It is a Q&A episode because it is a Monday. It is the first Monday of February. Happy Monday, you guys. We made it through January. We've made it through all of the holidays. And now we're entering into Black History Month Also the month where we celebrate love, aka Valentine's Day, but really we should be celebrating love always. I have a jam-packed episode, so I'm going to dive right in because you guys had a ton of questions for me and I want to get through as many as possible. I think the biggest one that came up was why I decided to get the COVID vaccine. And many of you guys know, if you listened to earlier episodes of this podcast, I talked about the fact that my oldest daughter was vaccine injured and that was diagnosed by her pediatrician and she has a permanent medical exemption from all future vaccines. You guys know that I'm also very like holistic and alternative when it comes to a lot of things regarding health and mental health. So I got a lot of repeat questions about why did you decide to get this vaccine then? First and foremost, I want to say that I think it's such a shame that people in the holistic community kind of have this reputation that that we can't be balanced, that we can't be somewhere in the middle and that we can't make like informed decisions. Just because my daughter had a reaction, that doesn't mean that I'm anti-vaccine. It just means that I'm pro-informed choice. I do think that there are more risks with vaccines than what is public knowledge. Um, I don't think it's right that at the doctor's office, they give you this little one sheet that does not nearly have the amount of information as a vaccine insert does. So it's like, I'm not black and white on this issue. I think there's a lot of gray area. I think there's a lot of nuance. I'm not saying don't get vaccinated and I'm not at all anti-vaccine. I just, my daughter had an experience, right? And that experience like shifted my, because before that I was like very pro-vaccine, obviously, because I got her vaccinated, right? And so it just, that experience kind of rocked me and created a little bit of trauma and some fear. 
And, you know, and I had to have these tough conversations with my pediatrician. And I'm lucky that I have a pediatrician who is really honest, who's really honest about their feelings, who's really honest about what they see in their practice and who listened to me and agreed with me that what was happening to my daughter was a result of the vaccines and wasn't normal. So I'm not saying don't go get vaccinated or that all vaccines are bad. And obviously not because here I am getting the COVID vaccine. So yes, two Mondays ago, I decided to get the Pfizer vaccine and it was not an easy choice to make. Here's what it came down to for me, guys. And you guys know I'll always keep it 100. I'll, I get tons of pushback. I'm going to get probably at least two fucking reviews that are calling me anti-vax just from saying what I just said, which I thought was like pretty fair and balanced. Um, and I would never wish. That's the thing. It's like, God, like what happened to my daughter was so scary. I would never wish that on anyone. And I really don't appreciate the labels. So I know this is like not an easy thing to talk about. And I know that there is a lot of fear mongering, you know, going on. And I want you guys to make an informed decision about this vaccine. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave out. Well, I'll explain that actually. What I needed to do to come to a place of feeling good about my choice was this. I needed to turn off the news turn off Facebook, turn off Instagram, because there was, there's a lot of people online who are saying, I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to get this vaccine. Oh my God. Have you seen this thing that happened to this person? You know, all of the input was just too much for me. And so I had to first do, and this is really how I handle like most situations in my life is like, I shut off all the noise, right? And I, and I go within and I go, okay, let's look at this. Okay. You're high risk. You already have a bit of lung damage from having a pulmonary embolism. They're saying that, um, a hundred percent of people who have severe COVID end up with permanent lung damage and anywhere between 50 and 70% of people who are asymptomatic still have some lung damage after this. This is also a disease that causes blood clots. You had three blood clots in your lung, Alexis. Um, there have also been a lot of young people who have ended up with pulmonary embolisms as a result of catching COVID, even if they were in asymptomatic multiple weeks after getting it. Okay, so we know all of that. So that's one big part of it. The second part is, I do. I have some COVID fatigue. I want life to go back to normal. I miss Disneyland. I miss going to the park with my kids. When I say that I have locked it down, I have locked it down. We barely see anybody. We barely do anything. I haven't been traveling. Like I want to go back to normal life. The third thing is obviously that I want this thing to stop spreading and killing people. I mean... I don't see how we're going to get through this without a vaccine. Okay, so all of that. Now let's look into the science of this. I ended up consulting with my acupuncturist, first and foremost, my medical doctor, of course, who is very holistic. She's an MD, she's an internist, but she's also really holistic. And I, I had a consult with her. She told me the vaccine was fine. She gave me a protocol of taking 5,000 milligrams of vitamin D, 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C spaced out, NAC or glutathione, and zinc and quercetin. She said, take it three days before 
and four days after. I said, okay. So spoke to her, spoke to my acupuncturist, talked to many of my friends who are holistic practitioners. And I was like, how do you guys feel about this vaccine? They all felt pretty damn good about it. And one of my friends, Johan, who is also a naturopathic doctor, reached out to me and he was like, I think this is a good choice for you. And I feel extra good about it because it doesn't have any heavy metals in it. And I was like, okay. So I went and got the vaccine. I won't lie when I tell you that I was scared. I was absolutely scared to go get this. I was having panic, panic when I was in line. I was like, oh, can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. Ah." Like I was like sweating and I got it and I was fine. I had a sore arm for three days, a little bit of a headache for like two days. And I felt maybe a little more fatigued than normal. Although I will say that I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm also a little bit depressed, which makes me feel extra tired. Depressed because again, I'm inside. It's been windstorms, power outages. My kids are driving me nuts at this point. (laughs) You know, I'm not like in my normal routine. So I don't know if that played a factor into it. Um, But yeah, after the first couple of days, I was like, golden, a hundred percent. And I will say, even then I was fine. So at the end of the day, I decided that this is what was the best decision for me. Um, I will say my husband got it. So this is how a lot of people also ask, how did I have access? I had access because my husband and I own a drug and alcohol treatment center where we have direct patient contact. My husband got it probably close to 70 of our friends and or staff have gotten at this point. So far, everyone's been great. Um, My husband got Moderna. I got Pfizer. Both of us are great. So that's on that. I encourage you guys to, to do the same, to turn off all of the noise, to go inward, to talk to people that you trust and to make the best decision for you and your health quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made up with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective dose with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. My favorite is the Organifi Green Juice, which is a superfood blend with a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps to reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Another favorite of mine is the Organifi Red Juice, a perfect caffeine-free afternoon pick-me-up. It's loaded with antioxidants to reduce oxidative stress on the body and give you a natural energy boost when that 3 p.m. fatigue starts to set in. It tastes like fruit punch, yet it only has one gram of sugar. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or milk for an easy on-the-go drink with no messy cleanup or hassle. Organifi doesn't compromise quality for taste. They take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to be less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash reality and use code reality for 15% off any item in the store. That's Organifi.com slash reality and use code reality for 15% off any item. 
Here is a great question. This was asked by Sarah on Instagram. She says, how to navigate being more woke than family, not feeling guilty about drifting apart. That's definitely hard. First of all, I hate the word woke. Nothing against you for using it. I think in 2020, I'm moving into 2021. In 2020, I used the word woke quite a bit. Um, And I always used it with like parentheses around it, but we're moving away from woke. And I want to talk to you guys about something that has come to my awareness in the last several months as we're seeing so much intensity in our country, specifically around the world, but especially here. We're all here to evolve. We all evolve on different timelines. My mom's timeline, for example, was different than mine, and that's okay. I think it's really easy for people who begin to evolve and to evolve rapidly to get into a little trap here. And that trap is ego. Ego can be, I'm a piece of shit, or ego can be, I'm better than everyone else. I think it's really important to drop the idea first and foremost that anyone is better than anyone else because of where they're at in their journey. That's just not the case. And we will really never reach a place where we're all growing in the way that we need to grow when we have these beliefs, right? Because it induces shame to the other people who like aren't there yet. And of course, we want to encourage people to evolve. We want to challenge our beliefs. We want to grow and change and become more, I hate, I don't even like to use the word enlightened at this point, more informed, more connected to who we really are, a more peaceful and a more balanced and prosperous world, right? But we can get into this trap where we're feeling like we're more advanced and people are way back there. And now listen, in the case with my mom, as I began doing this work, you know, and that's something that's also really interesting is, as you guys know, or many of you know, my mom was like into tarot cards and the secret and angels and spirituality and all of this stuff. As you see, like, many people on social media doing and saying these things. But the truth is that for a lot of them, and this is just my observation, is that they use that as a way of bypassing the real work. Because the real work often doesn't look pretty. It's not just journaling and tarot cards and toxic positivity, it is going into the depths of your own personal hellscape, (laughs) you know, and breaking down every wall and every defense that you've ever had and letting that pain rip you open and allowing vulnerability to emerge. It is really like the phoenix, right? Like the burning down of oneself 
and then the rebuilding into this beautiful thing through the work, right? So my mom was like always on the edge of it. And I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of people are, you know, and the work is never done. I'm still doing the work as I'm going to get to show you guys in a couple more questions what I'm talking about. I'm always doing the work. So I think that first and foremost, it's acceptance. You know, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. I learned that in early sobriety, right? It's like, okay, I've got to come to a place of acceptance first. Then I've got to come to a place of surrender, like realizing what my part is. Surrender isn't giving up. Surrender is like when we ask for guidance and clarity and we surrender our own ego. So that way, consciousness, like pure loving consciousness can flow through us. And then we get to be unconditionally loving and kind to the other people in our environment. We don't have to shame them or change them. We get to accept them. And if the behaviors that they're presenting in our relationship aren't serving us or our highest good, we get to create boundaries. And I don't know if you guys saw that amazing four-part series that my mom and I did on Facebook about developing or finding out what ego state you're operating in and learning how to communicate and develop healthy boundaries. But if you did, then you know that boundaries are not things that we do to change and manipulate other people's behavior. That's just pure manipulation. Boundaries are things that we set for ourselves to protect ourselves. So that way we can keep our vibe high, right? And so we can like just know that whatever that behavior is, is not serving us. And so we're not willing to engage. And so we set up a boundary. And I think that really so much of it is leading by example. I did not change my mom. I constantly showed up in her life and led by example of what a life of freedom and peace looks like. And eventually she was attracted to that. So yeah, Sarah, I hope that that answers your question. Okay, so here's a follow-up. This is from Rita. She's in the Facebook group. If you guys aren't in the Recovering From Reality Facebook group, highly suggest it. We're a growing, loving community there to support each other. So if you're in the group, great. If not, join us. She asks, well, how can we get more people to do the work so we can collectively change the world for good? And again, that goes back to what I was saying. We have to first be willing to go in and honestly and vigorously do our own personal work. And as a result, we affect the people around us. Not only that, but as our consciousness begins to grow and expand and we become more evolved, what we envision as a future affects the world, right? Like think of all of the big movers and shakers. Think of, you know, because it's Black History Month, Martin Luther King comes into mind, right? Rosa Parks. These are people who 
whose consciousness was like, no, this is not okay. And so they began doing the work and they didn't give up until a movement started. So yeah, I think that it's about doing our own inner work and then collectively having a vision for the future where there is no poverty, where equity is achievable, where nobody has to worry about a medical bill or a cancer diagnosis or their three-year-old being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, right? And, and throwing the family into to such severe debt because they can't afford insulin. I mean, that's when I dream of a world and, and those dreams come to fruition. You know, we don't need the majority. We just need enough people who start waking up and stop thinking just about themselves. I think that's another thing we saw with so many in the like, in quotes, oh, I just said I wasn't going to say the word woke, but whatever. Spiritual community that like came out to be QAnon Trump supporters is that it's all about the fear of like the self. Like, how am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to take care of myself? It's all about me, me, me and my family. And like, if you've really done this work, you can't even think about you. You have to think about the the collective. We have to start caring about each other. Anyway, I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. And thanks for such a great question, Rita. You know that credit card, that one that you're afraid to look at to see what the balance is? If you've been avoiding your debt, it's time to confront it. Upstart can help you face it and finally pay it off. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan and pay off your debt all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash reality. That's upstart.com slash reality. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash reality. So Jess asked on my Instagram, She said, what mental hurdles did you have to overcome to physically get into shape? So we're going to have a real chat because I think that a lot of times the perception is that Alexis is perfect and healed. And I've said it on the podcast before and I'll say it again. Don't hold me on that pedestal because I will always fall short of, of grace. Like I'm not perfect. And, um, you know, I was having a conversation with my friend Rochelle yesterday and I just broke down um, because I am not in a very good place right now when it comes to my relationship with food, eating and eating disorder. 
So I will share with you guys a little bit about my journey and about the reflections that I've made recently and what I plan to do about them. So I was a really active little girl and I was always a very tall and lanky child. And as you guys know, I had a lot of abuse going on in my household and I developed a drug addiction. But what ended up happening was I also ended up developing an eating disorder. And even into my sobriety, I carried that eating disorder with me. I remember when Evan and I were getting married in Mexico and I was down to probably like 116 pounds and I wasn't eating very much at all. And I was chain smoking and drinking coffee all day. And Evan looked at me and he goes, there's something wrong. And I think that you need to go seek professional help for your eating habits. And that was the first time that I ever really thought about that because growing up, like I said, I was always a very thin kid. I was very active and everyone had always complimented me growing up. I received a lot of bad messaging about my body and about, you know, how thin and beautiful I was because of how thin I was. And in my household, my mom was really concerned with how we ate, but she didn't do it in a healthy way. It wasn't like, you know, we eat fruits and vegetables because these things nourish our body just like meats and bread do. You know, it was like, it was pretty toxic. And I remember going to my friend's houses who were allowed to have sugar and I would binge eat just like, like emotionally eat. I remember going to my friend. Gabby's house specifically and she had a whole box of gushers and a jumbo box of Rice Krispie treats and from like Costco size (laughs) and over the course of the weekend I ate both of them like pretty much by myself and so I, I knew that there was these patterns of emotional eating and when I first got sober in rehab I emotionally ate to deal with the fact that I no longer had drugs to cope with anymore. So long story short, I was in rehab. I gained about 20 pounds and I started stressing about my weight and I immediately went into like restrictive eating. Fast forward to Evan and I get married. He points this out to me, but three months after we got married, I got pregnant with Harper. I at that point had not dealt with any of my sexual abuse. Yet, I mean, I had touched the surface of it, but healing from that takes a long time and a lot of work. And I instantly went into like shutdown mode. And I was reflecting on this yesterday with Rochelle because it kind of clicked for me. I wanted to have a home birth because I didn't want anyone looking at my vagina. I wanted full control of my body. In a moment where survivors and women in general often feel, or I should say birthing people in general, excuse me, often feel pretty out of control as is. And I ended up 
of course, having a C-section, which I've talked about before. But during that pregnancy, in order to protect myself, I began binge eating again because my belief was, oh, I'm going to get emotional. That if I'm fat, no one will fuck with me. That was my belief. And so with Harper, I went from basically like 116 pounds. I think I'd probably put on like three pounds before I got pregnant with her. So it was maybe up to like 120-ish. I gave birth to her at 186 pounds. And when I was done, I remember hating myself. And I remember hating my body. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I think that, you know, I've had Sarah Nicole Landry on the podcast, The Bird's Papaya. A lot of you guys love her. I've also had Katie Wilcox, who has a very different approach. I highly suggest that we go, you go back and listen to both of those episodes. Actually, Sarah was on twice. And I plan on having Ashley Marie Preston, who has also been a guest on this podcast, who's a friend of mine who just went through gastric bypass surgery for her to come on the podcast. When we're talking about recovering from eating disorders and about healthy living and things like that, these are very nuanced conversations. I do personally feel like the pendulum was so far over on one side where it was like we had these unrealistic body ideals and these unrealistic standards for women. And then we, and we often do this, we see this in movements across the board, the pendulum swings to the total opposite side. And I've talked about this pendulum swinging thing with regards to parenting and a lot of stuff. Like, I think that there's a way to incorporate personal experience, science, and what we know, and, you know, put all of these things together when we have this conversation. So it's much more nuanced. But my experience is this. I ended up giving birth to Harper 186, never lost all of the weight. Then I gave birth to Dakota and I sought the health of a nutritionist and I only gained 35 pounds with Dakota and I never lost the weight. I had a tummy tuck and I had a breast lift. And I understand you guys that I don't look overweight and that I don't look unhealthy But my mental health around food is a problem. And I'm kind of just coming to terms with that. It's interesting because a couple of weeks ago on my Instagram page, um, I posted a post where I talked about the fact that I've gained 10 pounds recently. And that was 10 pounds on top of the 10 pounds that I never lost from Dakota on top of the 10 pounds that I never lost from Harper. And, you know, and I posted this post that was a lie. And I was basically like, I don't fit into any of my clothes, but I'm okay with it. So just buy the new jeans, friends. And that was the message that I wanted myself to believe, but it's not the truth. The truth is that I've been binge eating and that I've been using food for comfort. And it's really bad because I have autoimmune conditions 
that I know when I eat the way that I'm eating right now cause so many negative health outcomes, but I can't stop eating the foods. I can't stop. I keep making commitments to myself. I'm paying a ridiculous amount of money for like paleo meals, right? I'm not calorie counting or restricting. I'm just trying to eat the foods that don't cause inflammation in my body, like massive inflammation. And I can't stop. I cannot stop eating grains and sugar. Can't stop myself. And Diet Coke. I don't know what has happened to me in the last six months, but it has been gnarly. And I know that part of it is stress, but it's not. Like when I am actually honest with myself and I look at my relationship with food, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And again, like I said, these conversations are nuanced because it's like, I have this health condition that I can clearly feel immediately when I consume these certain trigger foods for me. I instantly feel like shit you know, and it, and it's hard. So I'm seeking the help of a professional. I think I'm going to start going to meetings (laughs) and I'm going to seek the guidance of a professional because I don't know how to deal with this. I don't, I am fully addicted to these foods and, you know, and I've had periods where I've been able to really you know, be on it. But for whatever reason, I slip back in. And I think it's extra hard because I'm sober and I don't have any vices. So food becomes my vice. But it's not good, guys. Like I am not in a good place right now (laughs) when it comes to the food stuff. I'm just not. And it is emotional. And I think that that was really hard for me because I wanted to be on the bandwagon of like food is just food and we shouldn't these, you know, these beauty norms are ridiculous and we shouldn't have to fit into the mold and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, Alexis, you are not healthy mentally or physically right now. You're not healthy mentally because you're consuming these foods in a response to pain, which is not at all balanced. And you're not healthy because you're eating foods that are triggering inflammation, which are causing you to have chronic migraines, to be exhausted, to have your skin welt up with hives on a regular basis, to inflame your IBS, you know what I mean? And fuck with your gut. So why can't, why can't you do it? I don't know. It's been really hard. So the bottom line is this, I'm five foot five and I calculated my BMI and I'm like, literally at that tipping point where I could be considered overweight and I feel overweight and I feel inflamed and I don't feel good. And I feel like a lot of people are scared to say that because they're afraid to get pushback. And I get it. I get it. I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know how to navigate this. And I, and trust me, I've heard from my friends who are like, you're so thin. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, it's not about thinness for me. It's about my health. It's about my mental health. And it's about my physical health. So Jess, when you said what mental hurdles did you have to overcome to physically get in shape? I don't know because I've tried. 
I've tried it all to like be consistent and to take care of myself with regards to food and nutrition. And I, I can't, I find myself eating paleo and like having these meals delivered without any of my like trigger foods and all is good. And then next thing you know, I'm at McDonald's drinking a diet Coke and having a large fries and a filet of fish And then I can't stop. And then it's like I'm eating three pieces of cake at my sister's birthday dinner. And then I wake up this morning feeling like hell. Because the truth is I can't just have one piece of cake. I can't just have one piece of cake. I don't know why. I just can't. So that's there's for rigorous honesty, you guys. I don't know if I'm going to go to OA or if I'm going to seek the help of a therapist. I don't know. But... You know, I was talking earlier when I was addressing one of the first questions about the fear or wanting to feel like you're fully healed and you're super evolved and better than everyone. And it's like my ego will instantly check that. And like, here I am, right? Like telling you guys that like, I still don't have everything figured out. I'm trying though. And I'm so grateful for this community where I feel comfortable enough that I can say that. When I need to blow off steam, I've started playing Best Fiends, the top rated and possibly the best mobile puzzle adventure game. Best Fiends gives you hour of fun, casual gameplay that never gets old with thousands of levels, plus new content and events added all the time. So when I want to unwind, I can always count on Best Fiends. I actually downloaded this game before a flight to New York on my phone and I instantly became hooked. I've since shared it with my brother-in-law and he is a big fan. Best Fiends is a can't put it down mobile puzzle game that's free to download. With over 100 million downloads, this five star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Befriend a cast of friends who can help you solve each level and defeat the slugs, the slimy but cute baddies. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends and no exaggeration, there are 5,000 puzzle levels and counting. So the fun never runs out. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple Store or on Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, lots of questions about our adoption process. So we are moving forward. This is like long haul, guys. It can take two years to match. We had several extra hurdles, obviously, because of both Evan and my past and the fact that I am a twice convicted felon. Even though my record's been cleared, it doesn't matter. It still came up for them because they go like deep deep federal background check, which they should. So we've had a lot of hurdles and we're on the way. And yeah, I'm really excited about this journey and I can't wait. You know, my sister's been here with her little baby boy and I just love it. I miss the baby wearing, the newborn stage. I would say nursing, but obviously I'm not going to be nursing this baby, but I miss all of that. You know, it's a lot of work, but I love it. Okay, this is great. Also asked in the RFR Facebook group by Christina. She said, how do you stop comparing yourself to others? When you're going through a hard time and everyone else seems to be moving forward in life and getting all the things that you want, how do you keep sane and not sad? Okay, so love this. First and foremost, what you see on social media is not real life. I think we all know that by now, but I'm going to reiterate that. But congratulations, Christina. 
this is an opportunity for growth. Anytime that we feel a, in quotes, negative emotion, which is never really negative because you can turn that into a positive. So was it negative in the first place? No, right? It was an indicator that you want something more for your life, which is great. So now it's time to do the work. And this is what we do in the Life Reset course. Let's do the work. Let's dive deep. Like what is holding you back from from having that life? What belief systems have you developed that are stopping you from achieving that life? And it's like, oh, okay. So here's a moment for me to go. That feels, what they're doing feels really good. And what I'm doing isn't feeling good to me anymore, or this is an indication that I'm wanting something more. So now is the time to dive in, do the work, and to set the intention, right, for creating more of whatever they have in your life. And so really, it's just, it's like a compass, right? It's just, you get a little bit off, right? You feel that little, those tinges of, of jealousy and comparison come up and you go, oh, what is that? Oh, that's a feeling of lack, right? That's like, I have like this lack mentality or that's a feeling of sadness. Where did that sadness start? So even if you don't want what they have, but it's triggering a feeling in you, you can still go back and heal whatever that, the the origins of wherever that began. And when you heal it, it's then cleared from your subconscious mind. And then you're able to start experiencing life through a new set of eyes. And you get to get really clear on what you want for your life. So, you know, I think that comparison, jealousy, and all these things are not necessarily bad things if you know what to do with them. Okay, this is a great one. And I'm going to have my mom come on and do a whole podcast about this, but we'll answer some of this here. So we'll go more in depth with my mom, Andrea, but I will address this. So Amy asks in the Recovering From Reality Facebook group, how do you deal with family that constantly shame you when you are the scapegoat? Okay, so I love talking about family systems and family roles. And like I said, my mom's going to come on. We'll do an in-depth episode about all of those ego states and what happens in families and things like that. I'm going to give you my, um, my mom's tips with the three C's. So the first thing, the very first thing that I would do is confirm. So you would say something along the lines of, you have every right to blame me, shame me, point the finger, deny my reality, blah, blah, blah. Because they do. They have every right to do that, right? But you're trying to set a boundary and protect yourself. You're never going to get there if it's just like you, 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 you. You're the problem. If you start going into this like drama triangle and start pointing fingers and shaming them back, you're never going to get anywhere. So you first confirm and affirm their reality. You know, Um, You have every right to. You could also say, I sense by the fact that, right? I sense by the fact that you're shutting me down, that something's bothering you. Is that true? 
And then they're going to come back with whatever they're going to come back with. And you're going to say, you have every right to X, Y, or Z. Then you're going to clarify. However, I feel really fill in the blank in these situations. I feel really uncomfortable. I feel really scared. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like we're stuck in a negative pattern. I feel da 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 da. Then you're going to ask for a contract or some action on their part or for your part together. What do you think about going to see a therapist? What do you think about reframing the way you're talking about me? What do you think about whatever it might be? Then you're just going to wait. They have a chance to, to respond. If they continue to shame you, then you go back to the first C. You have every right to deny what I'm talking about. You have every right to pretend that what I'm saying here is not really going on, or you have every right to belittle me and my feelings. However, I don't feel good when you do that and it makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to have to remove myself from the situation. When you're ready to go to therapy or seek outside help, please let me know. And that's it. And that's setting a boundary, right? So I'll give you an example of this with Evan. I give this example a lot. Evan and I had just had Harper and she was a little baby. And I don't know if you guys have ever driven on the freeways in LA, but like 65 miles per hour is like the suggested limit for speed. But Evan was going like 82 on the freeway because everyone does. And I mentioned the fact that I felt uncomfortable with him driving that fast And he was like, it's fine. I'm going with the flow of traffic. He like totally shut down my feelings, but I was still feeling scared. And we had a baby in the backseat. And so I said to him, I said, you have every right. And this immediately, it does not shame the person, but it helps them to zoom out and kind of like see the bigger picture and see how you're feeling. I said, you have every right to brush off my concerns about our safety. However, I feel really uncomfortable with you driving above the speed limit. What do you think about sticking to going 75 miles an hour or less when me and the baby are in the car? He, of course, immediately was like, of course, you know, I'm so sorry. I I didn't realize that it was that big of a deal and I will slow down, right? Problem solved. Say he continued to brush me off. Then it's about setting a boundary. You have every right to write off my concerns about our safety. I feel really uncomfortable about that. And so moving forward, when we go out, I will drive the baby separately in a different car. That's the boundary, period. And he could huff and puff and whatever else. I could either address it by saying, I sense by the fact that your body language is indicating to me that you've, you're upset about what I'm saying, that you're upset. Is that the case? <laughs> or I could just freaking ignore it because it's his shit and not mine. And I don't want to deal with it, right? It's not my job. It's not my job, you guys. <laughs> we have to start realizing like what's our job and what's not our job, um, you know? And so I set a clear boundary and he respected it. And you know what? He drives great ever since. So that dealt with that. Hopefully that helps you. Okay, last question. I love this. Okay, 
trauma-induced ADHD and ADD and how that can manifest differently than non-trauma-induced ADD. I love this. I actually talked about this. I'm having a parenting expert come on and the way that she put this, I always knew this, but the way that she put this for me was so profound. So I was a kid, obviously, who went through a lot of trauma. Many of us go through lots of trauma because we didn't have parents who knew that had necessary coping skills to deal with their own shit. And so it got passed down to us. And here we are. Congratulations to all of us. Go us. We're breaking the cycles of generational trauma. Okay. Not an easy thing to do. Let's talk about this though. I was diagnosed with ADD when I was really little and I've since found out that I don't have ADD. I just had PTSD. And what it presented like in um, school was an inability to focus, right? And hyperactivity. And when I was talking to this therapist who's coming on the podcast in a bit about this, she goes, you didn't have an ADD mind, Alexis. You had an adaptive mind. I'm going to repeat that. You don't have an ADD mind. You have an adaptive mind. How can we expect a child who is worried about where their next meal is going to come from or if their parents will be fighting when they get home or who's going to pick them up from school or if their parent will be too drunk to help them out with their homework. How can a child who's dealing with that at home or if they're going to be sexually abused when they get home or hit when they get home or if their mom's going to be in a manic state when they get home or if their dad's going to, you know, beat their mom when they get home. How can a child who's constantly looking over their own shoulder and trying to figure out how to care for themselves make it through school. That blew my mind. We're in a day and age where, and I've talked about this part too, where it's like school's not really great for a lot of kids because there's many different types of learners. And like, why should all children be expected to fit into this one little box. We also know that across the board in the United States, children are having less playtime than ever before. They're spending more time in the classroom than outside. None of these things are conducive to learning and, you know, building up the brain to learn in a way that works for everyone. And I've also talked about how our work lives and all of the things, it's just not really sustainable for, for most people. But okay, let's go back to this. So how can we expect those children to, to survive in school? We can't because they're barely surviving at home. So for many of us, we really have this adaptive mind and it's trying to adapt to chronic stress and trauma. Whether it's big T traumas or multiple little T traumas, it doesn't matter. That blew my mind, blew my mind. And so when it comes to focusing and our ability to thrive with brains that are different, but just as beautiful and amazing, I love this book by Dr. Gabor Mate, Scattered Minds by Dr. Gabor Mate. I think it's great. 
I personally am not a fan of stimulant medication, especially in children. Does that mean that I don't think that there are cases where that could be necessary? Um, Sure. Do I think that that should be the exception, not the rule? Absolutely. Do I feel that right now it is the rule and not the exception? A hundred percent. Um, I can't tell you how many of my friends are on 30 milligrams of Adderall a day right now. It's a lot. And I love you all. (laughs) Um, But what ends up happening nine out of 10 times is that they also go on Xanax, right? And what happens to our brains when we're on Adderall and Xanax? It's a big mess, especially with the Xanax and the benzos. Because what it does is it completely depletes our body stops making our own dopamine, we need dopamine in order to feel safe, in order to survive. So what happens is our brains get flooded with this dopamine from this drug. And then as a result, our brains stop making it. And then we need more and more of the drug. We might need more throughout the day because we start having panic attacks because all of a sudden our brain goes, oh my God, I have no dopamine. And then you have to take a pill in order to get down from that panic attack So what most people find is as they are on these drugs for anxiety is that their dose increases in both milligrams and in frequency. And then it's a bitch to get off. It's so hard to get off. It takes months, if not years. It's really hard for the brain to recover naturally, but it is possible. But anyway, it just becomes a really a slippery slope. So there are absolutely people who are different learners, right? I personally am a kinesthetic learner. I need hands-on visual stimulation, movement in order to learn. That's just who I am. So there are those minds. And I think that, yeah, I think that there's a bigger part of this conversation that's missing. Again, it all goes back to like nuance. It is not black or white. There's this huge spectrum right? In these conversations. And I believe that we need to start moving towards a place where we can have these hard conversations and be like, does your child have ADD or do you have ADD or do you have unprocessed trauma? Like, what's your life like at home? Are you carrying the years of trauma that you experienced as a child into your adult life? And how can we heal from that? So yeah, I hope that that you found that helpful. Maybe what we will do um, in the next couple months here is we'll have a specialist on who can talk about this. I don't know who that person would be. I will do some research. If you guys have any suggestions, please reach out to me. I will say this time and time again. I am certainly not a doctor. I am not your professional therapist by any means. I'm just a person who's been through this journey for a long time now and who who's here to grow with you guys, you know, who's someone in this wellness space that cuts out all the bullshit and keeps it 100 with you guys always. I want to finish this episode by just acknowledging the fact that you came here today. And I want to say thank you. And I hope that you will thank yourselves that you take a moment with me to take a collective deep breath and have a moment where you let the gratitude that I have for each and every one of you pour forth 
into your life. So that way you feel that and know that I love and care about each one of you guys. And um, I'm so grateful that you're here, that you're showing up for yourselves in this way. It's truly remarkable. You should be so proud of yourselves. And thank you for joining me each week. You know, if you really enjoy this, and I know I always put this at the end of the episode, it'll still be there. But if you enjoyed this, please leave a review for me. It really means so, so much. It helps this show so much. And maybe send this episode or another episode that really, you know, meant a lot to you to five or six friends or family members. That would help so, so much. It's not easy for me to ask for help still to this day, but I'm so grateful for this show and I want to continue to do this every single week. So your support is greatly appreciated. And with that, I love you all. Let's take a collective deep breath. Thank you guys so much for being here. Until next week. This week's affirmation is, I am a beautiful soul that radiates love. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 